0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn.
2: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's a Wednesday. It's 12 noon. It's a special live show. We're live in the studio here. Roberta's Pizza, Heritage Radio Network. And uh, why are we doing a live show on a Wednesday? It's because we have a special guest in town. We're talking about Toast ale, a project from england we 're going to be talking about how can you make beer from bread and uh, New York grains and some other cool things. so uh, first big shout out to our sponsors, Union Beer distributors, uh, makers of suppliers of world class ales and lagers. and uh, we 've got some special guests in the room we 're going to there 's a lot of people there's a full house of people from England and upstate and, and, and New York city but we 'll let the main guests introduce themselves and, and we 'll start with Tristan.
3: I'm Tristram Stewart. I'm the founder of Feedback, which is a global non-profit campaigning on food waste, which is one of the biggest, most scandalous problems in the world. And most recently, my new project, Toast Ale. We're making craft ale out of bread that would otherwise go to waste.
2: And we're going to go a long way with that today. Hey, Amy.
4: I'm Amy Halloran, and I wrote a book called The New Bread Basket, which is about the revival of regional grain production. And I also run a soup kitchen, so I'm really intimate with how we handle and don't handle bread waste.
2: All right.
5: Uh, Pat Green, Chelsea Craft Brewing Company. We've been brewing beer in New York City since 1991, uh, when it wasn't that popular in those days. And uh, we were very excited about hearing this project and what it was all about, and we're excited to be on board.
2: So what we're trying to do today is we're, you know, Tristan, tell us what you're trying to do by coming to New York City and a little background on the toast ale and what you did in England.
3: Yeah, my first experience of bread beer was actually in Brussels, the Brussels Beer Project. Uh, They're amazing brewers. They've got a whole lot of different beers. But one of their beers called Babylon was made with bread that would otherwise be wasted. And I tasted this stuff. It was really good. I loved the brewers involved and I said to them, look, this idea is awesome. Wouldn't it be cool if we, you know, my global network of food waste warriors around the world replicated this, adapted it for every country where there is bread waste, and my God, there is colossal bread waste everywhere you go. And we turned this into a company that turned the bread into beer, generated profits that in the case of Toast Ale, 100% of these profits go to the non-profits who are combating this problem at its root. And they were so on board with this idea. They came over to England, they transferred all of their know-how and their knowledge to the brewer that we had selected in London, just near my uh, campaigning uh, organization's office. And we got the first brewer on within 10 days of Of starting out with this idea. Jamie Oliver came down to our first brew, filmed it. The very first bottles of toast ale were tasted on television with Jamie Oliver and a whole load of beer sommeliers and stockists. It was probably one of the most nerve wracking experiences in my life. I hadn't even tasted this beer myself, I knew it was a cool concept. I didn't know how the beer would turn out. And I was sitting there thinking, oh, please don't let Jamie Oliver's face screw up in disgust. (laughs) (laughs) He got really enthusiastic. And I thought, well, you know, he would. He's on television. But then the serious stockists and sommeliers started tasting it. And I remember this guy, he had a poker face. And he said, you know, I was really cynical about this project. I thought this beer was going to be sweet and sticky, not my cup of tea. This is a classic English ale. It's got a couple of notes that are really unusual, really great, hearty, full-bodied, nice and hoppy, balanced beer. And it was at that moment that I thought, this is not just a cool idea. This is not just a revenue generation model. This is not just a way of raising awareness about the colossal problem of waste food and its delicious solutions. This is a quality craft ale. And to be able to contribute to solving a global problem whilst enjoying a bottle of amazing beer, that's a pretty cool solution.
2: That's a great intro, Tristan. It's nice to see you, too. We've gone back years ago. You, you know, you, you're a, Ted, a real TED Talk speaker. You've spoken at the United Nations. You're an author. But many times you've been to New York City, and we've hosted you at... Jimmy's number 43 And I know you influence guys like Dan Barber, Blue Hill They did a food waste week And we have all day, all night to talk about this But um, the next thing, you know, just the, the tie-in One reason I was excited about hosting you Is we, we've done a lot with uh, New York grains And specialty grains that are being made for beer And that's one reason Amy's here And also Rachel from the Eschner Farms Up in uh, near Ithaca, New York And uh, what's cool is that we walked in And um, it turns out we're drinking a beer That's made with New York grains It's the Arrowwood Farm We're not sure where that is Hillary, do you know where it is? Might be Massachusetts, but um, anyways, it's milled. It's uh, malted by our friends Andrew Stanley. So this for us is that great New York grain farmer and, and malt beer, and it's in our hand right now. Arrowwood Farm, the Danko Rye, which is one of the specialty grains that they, they make up at Esner Farm. So there's a little background on that. But uh, Amy, tell us about why you're interested in being here today. Oh, this. Hits. But this beer tastes good in the glass, doesn't it?
4: Yes. Yeah, Somebody's got to
2: know on Twitter. Where is Arrowwood Farms Brewery? I feel like it's in Massachusetts, but.
4: It, it has to be because Arrowhead? Arrow wrote? Anyway, arrowhead. tangential. Anyway, I'm too excited to be here because this brings all of my loves together. I uh, wrote a book about grains <laughs> because I noticed that fresh flour has an incredible, incredible flavor. And I didn't understand how, as a baker, a, For 40 years, I didn't know that flour came from somewhere else other than a bag. I followed the flour back to the field, and one of the first places I went was Oshner Farms upstate and got to see why I didn't know anything about flour. These processes are completely invisible from our everyday life. We know nothing about food production. We really don't know anything about grain production. Mills largely left locales over 100 years ago, especially in the Northeast. We centralized grain production put, you know, milling, malting, and growing all in these dead centers of the United States that East Coasters don't like to think about. And we don't know enough to appreciate what it takes to get beer or bread. If we had half a hint, we would never waste a loaf. We would never not finish our beer, and we would never not finish our bread. So this project really is exciting
2: and that we just found out Tristan with this Arrowwood Farms in Accord New York somewhere upstate a, a real farm brewery
3: uh, Hudson Valley I think is yep. is what it is and funnily enough Hudson Valley is where my organization Feedback is putting on one of its Feeding the 5000 events just later this week I think it's on Saturday,
4: Saturday.
3: Um, to raise awareness about food waste and all the great organizations up there that are kind of using food that would otherwise go to waste quality food and actually feeding people with it.
2: And what, what drove you to that in the first place? I mean, you, you wrote a book.
3: Yeah, I, I wrote a book. It was published in 2009. I started campaigning on food waste too many years ago. <laughs> actually, it started when I was 15 and I was living uh, in Sussex in rural England. I got some pigs and I started to collect waste food to feed them because I couldn't afford the grain that was being fed by the livestock feed kind of wholesalers. And I collected the waste from my school kitchens, from the local baker who was throwing away 10 sacks of loaf every day, a potato farmer that couldn't sell, like, outsized, misshapen potatoes. And it was great. My pigs turned it into pork. I sold the pork to my school friend's parents. I made some good pocket money. But I realized most of the food that I was feeding to my pigs was perfectly good for human consumption. And I remember the day that I sat down for breakfast with my pigs, and ate some of this amazing bread I was picking up from the local baker. And that was my first act of, uh, whatever you call it, dumpster diving, freeganism, yeah, skipping. And that kind of taste, delicious taste, mingled with the kind of frustration, anger, actually, about the scale of waste, the waste going on at every level of our food supply chain. That became a journey for me. I started living off this waste, campaigning on what supermarkets were throwing away. They didn't even want to talk about their waste back then. They were locking it in dumpsters, driving it off to landfill. This was their hidden secret, and I made it my mission to uncover that. Global scandal of food waste. A third of all of the food that we're growing in this world is being wasted. At the same time there's nearly a billion people who are underfed and food production is the biggest negative impact humans have on this planet that doesn't need to be going on in in the 21st century I wrote the book about it in 2009 made a global assessment and since then food waste has gone from a non-issue that literally no one was talking about and Food recovery organisations that have been working for decades were pushing up against the kind of resistance from the industry, a lack of backing from government. All that has changed. I mean, the US has always been ahead of the game on food redistribution, but in Europe it was a non-entity, essentially. And, yeah, now there is a United Nations goal to halve food waste by 2030. All food companies, instead of hiding the secret, you basically have to have some kind of policy to tackle food waste. Consumers have really started to reduce their food waste, measurable reductions. This is one of those mass environmental problems that people are getting behind and feeling good about solving. You know, it's one of these colossal problems that the solution to which is delicious, namely eating and enjoying food together rather than throwing it away. And toast ale is the emblem of all of that. It's like, let's have a party, guys, because partying is what makes us
2: so it's going to be a, deli- get together a and solve beer the problem right well let's ask Pat so you're, you're here considering places to actually brew this beer in New York and uh, um, introduce yourself this is your project coordinator here in New York
6: I'm Maddie and I have been working to kind of garner interest in toast ale since May with my wonderful other half Devin who's also in the room um, and I couldn't be more excited. I'm equally passionate about food waste, and I think that this is a really exciting way to bring the conversation to a wider audience in a way that's a little bit more tangible and fun than it usually
7: is.
2: Hey, Devin, how are you? I'm
7: doing you guys, great. Just say,
2: your, say your full name, son.
7: Uh, so I'm Devin Hardy, and I'm working with Maddie as well on Toast Ale USA.
2: All right. So um, how do you make beer from leftover bread? You know, that's, that's a homebrew question. It's a, it's a brewer's question. Yeah. And the, Pat, I'm dying to know what, what your plans are if you guys The basic do
3: this. principle is so simple. Usually, conventional beer is made with malt barley, and malt barley is a grain. It has an enzyme in it, amylase, a natural enzyme that we all have in our saliva, that malt barley has within the grain. And that enzyme breaks down the long chain carbohydrates in grain into sugars, which makes those sugars available for yeast and the yeast does the magical job of turning sugar into alcohol which is what we can enjoy in a bottle of beer and all you're doing with bread is replacing 30 40 or whatever percentage you like of that malt barley with the grain in bread and the amylase in the malt barley does the job of breaking that carbohydrate down and turning it into alcohol so you can literally drink this problem into oblivion Uh, it's a delicious solution to this colossal problem we waste bread I mean I was talking to I won't name them one of the big sandwich kind of retailers in New York City and they're throwing away four slices of bread for every loaf that they use that's a lot of bread I mean at the moment it's going into landfill which is just crazy let's turn that into you're something that like people can use.
2: You're saying like fuel and carbon resources.
3: Yeah, think are about going all the land you're growing, you're using all the fossil fuels that go into production, all the transport, all of the energy, all of those carbon emissions, you know, soil, fertilizer, the rest of it. All of that is literally being wasted when we're chucking away bread, and there's no good reason for that. At the same time and you know Amy I'd love to hear a bit more about your experience of this. There are great charities, non-profits out there that are collecting surplus food from retail, from wholesale, and getting it to people who need it. But one thing that all of these redistribution organizations encounter is an embarrassing problem. There's too much bread out there. They cannot use it all. One of the most validating experiences of this whole journey is when uh, Robert Egger, who is literally the global hero for food redistribution. He set up DC Central Kitchen. He set up LA Kitchen. He's recovering food. He's been doing it for 30 years, turning it into a resource. And he said, Tristram, I cannot believe this solution has been staring us in the face. For 30 years, I've been combating the problem of having too much bread. And you've come up with an idea that uses that bread, that generates revenues for the non-profits, that communicates the idea that bread shouldn't be going to waste, and you put it in a bottle in a way that just anyone can access and get into.
2: That's awesome. So Amy and Pat, just before we get too into the details of making the bread, how would you imagine that they made beer from this waste bread?
4: So... Picture, picturing what he's doing now, you know, you just substitute some of the bread for your grain bill. And the grain bill, you have to bear in mind, is really heavy. Beer is thirsty stuff. We're sucking up acres and acres of grain in every glass and bottle. So to be able to reduce that too, to reduce by 30 or 40% whatever you're putting into the beer and not create more spent grain that has to go out there and get recycled in some other way. You know, sometimes it goes to livestock. A lot of time it just goes to waste. You know, it's not, we're not careful. America is so big. We've always been able to waste a lot of stuff. So this is a, a message in a bottle that we can really deliver.
2: Great. And hold on one second. We're going take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. We just come back. And-
1: El Knife and Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry.
2: Hey, welcome back to this special episode of Beer Sessions Radio. We're live at Heritage Radio Network on a Wednesday. Got our special friend Tristan Stewart in from the U.K. Talking about toast ale. We've got some, some grain and breads experts. And we've got a brewer, one of our, our longstanding New York City brewers, Pat Green from Chelsea Brewing. How are you, man?
5: I'm good. How are you?
2: Welcome back. You know, for years you had your brew pub on, on, on Chelsea Piers, and now you've reopened up in the Bronx.
5: We've created a uh, production operation where we're mass producing beer now. Uh, it's my my dream, uh, you know, to have that type of brewery, and it was an honor to get the call uh, about you know doing this project. And uh, you know, one of the things I, I said to Maddie right off the bat is beer brings people together you know we do so many charitable uh, events where it's either from 9-11 cancer the arts we we love to you know starving artists we love to give them a couple kegs of beer fill their house and get the artwork out here now we're taking the ingredients putting it into the bottle and bringing all the people together and i think that's a fantastic idea
2: so, you know, what's your understanding of, of making beer f- using some leftover bread? Well,
5: Tristan uh, touched upon it, you know, very clearly earlier. It's really a substitute of the grain. I mean, bread is made from the same ingredients as beer, so you know, it has uh, water, uh, flour, and yeast in it. And this is we're, we're now, as uh, Amy said, we're substituting some of that grain for this spent bread that would normally be discarded. And utilizing the energy and the sugars and all of that to create the alcohol, and balancing it with some specialty malts and specialty hops to balance so the beer. You put the bread in, into
2: the mash. In the mash, yes. So, Amy, you know, for you as, as an as an author and, and you know recipe writer. You know, for me and for you, to, I think we've had this conversation before. You're talking about kind of global food waste system. And a lot of the bread that we're talking about, it's really mass produced. I mean, I know there are some producers of bread that I can call up, and if I need like 4,000 loaves of hot dog buns, they're really cheap, and, and I can get them for nothing. And that's not as like, I'm not as proud of that, but it exists. But like growing up, you know, I'm calling it leftover bread for a reason. You're calling it food. When I grew up, there was no waste. Like leftover bread was, you know, maybe you made stuffing or, you know, maybe you put it in with meatballs. Or maybe you made something like a bread pudding.
4: Yeah, you think about it historically. We considered it precious. Breadcrumbs were not just on top of our macaroni and cheese. They were a part of cuisine. You've got bread pudding. You've got, you know, entire soups from across different cultures that are made from bread. It really makes sense to hang on to what you make. Because, especially with grain production, there are so many people and processes involved. A farmer needs a miller, needs a baker. A farmer needs a maltster, needs a brewer. That's a lot of labor, a lot of energy, and you're not going to waste it historically, and we shouldn't be wasting it now.
2: So, Tristan, you know, for you, it's food waste versus leftovers, you know, fill, fill in that
3: for me. Oh, what I always say to people is the one time it's okay to waste food is when I'm around because other people's waste food is my second. That's what I go for. I love to eat it, I love to find solutions for it. And, you know, to speak to what Amy was saying, we've done a lot of work at Feedback and indeed at Toast Ale where we'll find a source of bread waste. Our first thing is let's look at that process, what's generating the waste, try to drive that down in the first place, try to prevent that waste bread from coming into existence in the first place. It's only when you run up against obstacles and you say, okay, well, this is inevitable. Let's find a secondary solution for it. And that's where tail comes in. Like, I think
2: you're addressing like this big food system, though. It's different than my kid not eating the crust of the bread or throwing out the ends of a bread.
3: It is all so, so connected because... What starts in our homes, the recognition that bread, food in general, has value and that we should be eating all of it, whether it's as toast, whether it's as breadcrumbs, whether it's buying less in the first place, that is where it all starts. But what we say is don't stop there. You've got to become part of the process for change. Demand that change from the industry that's bringing your food every day.
2: All right, so let's go back to what's in the glass. So, uh, Maddie, what did you bring us? I'm drinking beer.
6: So this is actually a sample of toast ale that was shipped over from the U.K., um, thanks to the folks there, thanks Tristram. Um, and this is one of the first bottles opened on U.S. soil, um, so I'm curious to think what others in the room think of it.
2: And where was, where was this made? I'm interested to know. So your relation, We're going to get into that later with, with Pat and what you're planning to do in New York. But where, where was this beer made in U.K.? Can you say the brewery or do you not?
3: Yeah, um, this particular bottle was made by Hamilton Brewery. It's in Yorkshire. They are one of the kind of mid-scale craft brewers in the UK. We've now worked with uh, five different brewers in the UK. All of them have had a different recipe. We're still mucking around. The whole exciting thing about this project is we have food waste warriors all over the world who are keen to tackle this problem. What we're doing is matching that incredible global collaborative movement of food waste with the movement of craft beers. And there are brewers all over the world who are excited by this challenge, who want to try different recipes, who want to use their skills to be part of this solution. And every brewer we've come to has come up with different techniques, different ways of combining the bread with different ingredients to come up with different types of beer. I mean, there is an infinity of different ways in which we can combine this this solution with the craft brewing skills and the collaboration that already exists in that amazing global movement of craft ale.
2: And Devin, so you, you're you're working in the UK with Tristan. Are you are you also here in the states?
7: I'm here in the states with the UST. You are
2: too. So what what are your expectations of of this beer as a beer, and what are people excited about it people as a beer or excited. just as a concept?
7: I, I think both, and I think um, the accessibility of beer is a great way to get the message because. Uh, It's something that you can enjoy. It's something that you can have a party with, as Tristram said. Um, And it's a way to get kind of a culture shift going and make it cool, make it hip, make it something that people are interested in. It makes it sexy. It's not something that's wasted or disgusting. It's something that's delicious and to bring community together.
2: That's awesome. And we have two real expert beer industry guys here from New York City. And a big shout-out, because besides Pat Green, who I've bought beer from over the years... For, since what the '90s, uh, there's Jim. You know, Jim. Tell us your last name, You've been uh, selling, coming close. You've been selling beer on the streets, a uh, rep 20, for six years. Yeah. So, and you're working now for Pat, right? A sales. Exactly. Okay. So, what's in the glass? Tell us what what you're tasting in this beer. This is um, a beautifully balanced, very nice pale ale. Yes, pale ale, and uh, it's delicious. <laughs> that's, like, that's what Tristan said. It's going to be deliciousness.
5: Uh, you know what? This is the first time I've had it. We've, uh, Maddie and I had discussed it, uh, and I was anxious to taste this. And it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's really what our brewery is all about. We are traditional brewers, meaning it's all about balance of malt and hops. And this is beautiful.
2: High five for this, guys. <laughs> well, let's tell So, 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 so Tristan. this is the New York City first tasting of the, toast ale.
3: That's absolutely right. On the yeah. air, look at this, and we got
2: grains, grains experts, grain farmers, yeah. brewers, beer people, and
3: we we are so not into the idea of centrally producing toast and shipping it around the world. What our objective is to find local sources of waste bread, local brewers, local non profits who are part of this kind of global movement for local drinkers, and to replicate it everywhere. We've already had like our first franchise partner whatever you call it in Iceland and New York is the is the next place there's a great craft brewing community here pat is the you know the leading High light in, in, in Manhattan uh, b- beer making and now in, in the Bronx and there's a lot of waste bread here there's a lot of people who want to drink the beer there's a lot of need from the nonprofits who are working to solve this problem and we're going to put this into a solution devon just used the word community I love the word companion. Companion literally means somebody you eat bread with. Compan is, com is with and pan is bread. And everyone who drinks a bottle of toast becomes a companion in solving this global problem.
2: Yeah. And what about this special thing? You mentioned these uh, food waste warriors. Maybe Maddie jumps in and, and Devin. So are these guys going to be out there... The first ones to buy this beer. So you're saying there's I'm trying to build there's a huge market then for your food waste warriors around the world to buy this beer?
6: There is absolutely a market. I think especially among our friends in New York City who are conscientious of both social and environmental issues, this is gonna be really exciting and we've gotten our friends into dumpster diving and I think the more like Tristram said people are becoming really aware of food waste as a central issue of our day. This is really exciting, and I think it just opens the door for more people to open their eyes, and even walking down the street in New York, and really take in what's currently being wasted.
3: Yeah, and the great thing about this is, I mean, we've got a, a captive audience in the kind of people who care about food and environmental impact and social impact and the rest of it. But I had, I had my eyes really opened. I went down to a brewer, a lovely uh, craft brew pub in London, Temple brew House. They are Actually, they're the sixth brewer in, in the UK who are making it astonishing lovely pale ale they were making I went up to the bar I was with my whole team I bought 10 pints and there were three bankers standing at the bar and they said we'll have three pints of toast ale please and I said good choice guys and they said this is the best beer in the pub there were like 25 craft beers in the pub they said this is the best beer in the pub and I said way to go that's that's incredible and I, I said you know it's made out of uh, leftover bread and they said you're kidding me like how did you come up with that idea and I said, and 100% of the profits go to charity. They said, get out of here. We want a refund. They're <laughs> they, they they're not involved in like social movements or, or, or whatever, but they were just enjoying the beer for what it was. And the fact that they're doing some good by drinking it is just a bonus.
7: I think one of the other exciting parts about Toast, too, is they're actually open-sourcing their recipe for home brewers as well. So another way that a lot of friends have gotten involved is they've seen us literally brewing Toast at home with leftover bread. Um, And I don't know if it's going to be the best beer in the pub. It's definitely an experiment, and we're learning along the way.
2: I definitely Um, want to be there when you make your first batch in New
5: (laughs) York. You know, we've talked. Maddie is. uh, We're actually going to do a homebrew contest at Chelsea, where we're going to have people come in and do all sorts of different recipes. We've got Phil Clark on board, who's been in the business forever as a home brewer and uh, was head of the New York City Brewers, uh, Home Brewers Association. Uh, he's going to coordinate it for us up at the brewery, and it's going to be an amazing event. And, and you know, we'll, we'll be able to take different hints of the changes in designing our recipe since it's an open recipe. We're going to have different types of breads. We're going to keep it to a pale category. But, the, you know, that's the, the beauty of, of being in the brewery industry is we can do it independently, uniquely from everybody else. So that's really going to make it uh,
2: and A big shout-out to Pat Green. I mean, you, you've been you know a brewer, brew pub owner in the city since the 90s, and for the homebrew community, you've hosted so many events, like you will, with the Ale, you know, Cascale. You, you've always been a, a great center, and really glad you're back up in the Bronx, man. Thank you. All right. I know you're making beer also with uh, Kelso, too, right?
5: Right. We're making his some of his products as well.
2: And, Amy, jumping in on this, the, the, the soup kitchen thing, you know, not global but local, you know, you know, you have an angle on
4: this. I sure do. I know you do. You've been I waiting. On She's on,
2: sitting there waiting for. <laughs>
4: yeah, can. Hardly she could talk for forty-five
2: seat. minutes. Tristan can talk for forty-five <laughs> minutes.
4: Yeah. So I, um, in the kitchen, we feed hundred to one hundred fifty people lunch five days a week. We source from two bakeries and up in uh, Troy, New York. Up in Troy, Troy. New York. We source from two bakeries. My city is five miles along the Hudson. It's this long stretch, and I could fill the Hudson River every single day with bread and cakes and pies because it is so cheap to get white flour that bakeries do not need to factor in the waste as a cost. We make so much bread and sweet stuff. And to expect the food recovery system to be able to absorb this excess is impossible. It's
2: also why we have a lot of diabetes. And-
4: yeah, to, to expect the population that's relying on the food recovery network, which is already subject to the chronic diseases that poverty brings, is really, really criminal. So I'm really, really happy to know that there's this other route to bring together all the things that I really care about, trying to pay attention to um, how our food is made and how to make all of it matter much more and make all of us matter. You know, we keep talking about companion and collaboration. I think of grains as this um, unifying human experience. We have to cooperate and collaborate to make this happen. I think that's why people are so jazzed about the craft beer movement and the breadheads too. I mean, there's 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 a category of people called who we call ourselves serious home bakers. Serious home bakers because we're also into making a perfect loaf of bread. Actually, I can't say I am cuz I'm into the perfect pancake, but it's this thing that really brings us together. Grains brought us together oh so long ago and they have this great capacity to bring us together again.
5: Yeah, And one of the things, too, is in, in New York, people don't realize that before Prohibition, there was 160 breweries in the five boroughs. And these particular breweries all used local ingredients. New York State used to be one of the highest growers of hops in the country, uh, and also uh, malt. So... Seeing this whole re-revolution of what's already happened in this country once before, the younger kids don't even realize it, that this is not new, this is coming around again, that these small breweries, even ourselves are considered small, are brewing for the local people, using local ingredients, and this now, reusing
3: spent you know bread and stuff like that is... It's incredible. So
2: may I say on the air that you're looking for breweries around the country to do some local projects like yeah, this? Yeah, we,
3: I mean, this is like pushing a, an open door and actually putting a mouth to a fire hose in the end. The, the n- amount of interest that we've had, like I said, we've got a global network of nonprofits profits that, that tried to tackle this problem. And just in the U.S., across the country, they've got in touch and said, we want to start replicating toast ale in our neighborhood brewers all around so we're doing a Feeding the 5,000 event where we're one of these events that Feedback puts on we feed 5,000 people all with food that otherwise would be wasted in a couple of weeks going to be doing it in Denver and you know the brewing scene there we've been talking to people in Pittsburgh brewing scene there absolutely amazing and everyone is so stoked to bring this idea like across across the USA and it, it is really really exciting it's one of the most exciting things that I've been involved in uh, for, for years, in fact.
2: Oh, it's true. And he's also a high-fiver, so, you know, you're not a spread to <laughs> love. Let's pop, the, let's pop that other bottle of toasttail before we want to make sure we drink them all. And yeah. um, the other thing I want to say is, you know, this has been a really cool show. We have a lot more to talk about. We're going to save the heady food policy stuff for the next uh, next uh, you know, segment. But um, I, I do like this beer. And, and I think that for everything that we do, and Pat's testament to it, talking about working locally, you know, locally sourced ingredients and waste. This is pretty cool, man.
3: Yeah, I mean, just to speak to Pat's point about the history and the precedent, this goes way back. In fact, if you look to the origins of beer, the ancient Mesopotamians thousands of years ago were making beer out of leftover grains, leftover bread, anything like that that couldn't be used. They stuck it into the brew house. The entire original purpose of fermentation is to preserve the calories that would otherwise go to waste. That is what fermentation is for. Whether you're talking about hard cider, whether you're talking about wine, whether you're talking about beer, that is the origin of that technology. And what we're doing by introducing toast ale is bringing brewing back to its origins
2: and i know you're to me you're an interesting guy you're, you really care about food and drink and you said that you're uh, harvesting apples this weekend back oh
3: in yeah this is the autumn season it's my favorite time of year we go around i mean everyone's seen it right people have got apple trees they maybe make three apple pies a year use 20 25 apples a good apple tree can produce hundreds of apples we go around shaking people's trees anyone who's got Apple trees in my neighborhood in Sussex, where I grew up, and they don't use the apples, we go collect it. We bring it back to our farm. Everyone in the network is invited to come and do the apple pressing. It's one of the greatest get Loads of kids come and we pasteurize a lot of apple juice and then anything we haven't pasteurized just goes into kegs. We do not add anything or take anything away. We leave it there, the natural yeasts on the apples, ferment the apple juice into hard cider, And then everyone can can just come and help themselves. We make about a 1,000, well, 2,000 pints a a year, and it's free. We, We don't sell a pint. It's all just collective action, bringing people together to use the harvest that is naturally growing around the world. And, and putting it into a bottle, and you know that's where brewing started for me is is uh, is with a hard cider at home.
2: Let's cheers to that. I know Amy's jazz over there. Yeah, She's I'm going to jump in. I'm
4: thinking about um, how what is grown in an area is reflected in the beer and in the bread. Um, the reason we have pumpkin ale is because barley was hard to grow in New England. So what did they do? They took that carbohydrate that was easier to grow and. This is why we have pumpkin spice lattes, too, because we've got this <laughs> this idea that I think was generated by the necessity of using the beer into, oh, pumpkin spice is a thing. Mm. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a tradition. This is the way it goes.
2: All right. Hey, we're going to take another short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Welcome back hey, check us out heritageradio network you become a member corporate member sup- keep supporting us over thirty shows there's the farm report there's actually a lot of shows about food policy and school food uh, which which is uh you know one really deep part of this network and we 're happy to be the beer sessions radio but Chris time you know, let's let's jump into policy since I mentioned school food policy you know we 're talking about waste around the world you know let, let's let 's go deeper with this um, i I really think that it's amazing how much waste bread there is in the system. I understand that that, that bread can be made cheaply in white flour, but you know we're up in uh, in the Ithaca region in New York, and with uh, Rachel here and uh, Amy, um, you know there's serious farmers who are trying to grow better grains that that are better for you, that, that that are better for breads and you know beer, and we're part of that. But you know, tell us the challenges of this system because I mean I don't want to I don't even want to eat white white flour bread anymore you know and i don't know let's go on that deep tack because you're deep
3: we have a global food system whether we like it or not and the lie that has been peddled by the big corporations of this world is that we need to double food production by 2050 to feed the nine billion people expected on this planet by 2050 And that the answer to that is just to do more of the same productionist system that has already given us a food system that has quite literally trashed the planet, that is responsible for most deforestation, most soil erosion, most water extraction, most habitat loss, species extinction, all of these things. It's the biggest single source of carbon dioxide emissions that contributes to global warming. And it is responsible for the biggest public health crisis in the world, namely overconsumption and all of the things that go with that. This is a food system that has been driven by profit and is not designed either to feed people nourishing food or to look after the planet. That is the system we are up against. And the way in which I see my role as kind of, if you like, combating that incredibly powerful global system is to say, look, hold on a sec that ideology does not pan out when you consider that at least in the US 40% of food is already going to waste how is it making sense to just build a way out of that problem by growing more of this stuff how does it make sense for the farm bill to subsidize the very type of farming that is actually incentivizing farmers forcing farmers to do things that neither they want to do, nor is good for human health, nor the health of the planet. We need to rewire the system. We are all a part of that system. Every time we open our mouths and put food in it, every time we pay money at the till, we are taking part in either entrenching the system we have, or we have this incredibly powerful option to use our food choices to rebuild agriculture, Instead of being a massive problem, we can make the food and agriculture system of the world the biggest, most strong tool to combat global warming, hunger, malnutrition, overconsumption. Food production should be a way of replenishing soils, of creating habitat, of creating livelihoods, of nourishing people, of bringing people together. It is the center of human civilization. We should be taking back control of this food system for good.
5: Back. You know, one thing to answer when you were talking about not eating the white bread, the the beauty about brewing is that most of the greens that are added to the brewing process are pale malts, which are only there for the production of alcohol. And then you have your accent malts. So you can use any type of bread to create that base that's going to be converted to alcohol and also adding, you know, specialty art- artisanal breads to give it some more flavor. So you, have, you can use any type of bread in the, in the operation and you know, recapture the energy and the alcohol from that grain.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really critical point. The very first toast ale we made was with artisan bread. My dear friend in London, he set up an incredible sourdough bakehouse and we used his bread and other bread like it, totally pure. I said, look, it's great that we've made this beer, but I want a solution that works everywhere. Let's face it, most of the bread being wasted is, you know, commoner garden, just bog standard industrial bread. I want to be able to create a solution that can use everything. And I believed, and as it turns out, it is the case, that all of the things that make really good quality bread, the structure, the process, in the process of brewing is quite literally dissolved What you're after is those long chain carbohydrates and the amylase will digest that, whether it's a sliced bread from a supermarket or an artisan bread from a sourdough bakery. And you can extract the same goodness without having all of the kind of negative, like poor quality bread, like left in anything to do with a beer. That's you've got the alcohol. That's what you want. You get the calories. And my my friend from the E5 Bakehouse, he said, look, I'm really worried about this. I said, come down, taste the beer we made with your bread taste the beer we made with indiscriminate bread and we sat down and had these two bottles of beer together and he said yeah these are both really quality ales
5: and again you know in my industry it's it's again we use the the most expensive barley in the world to create beer that's why craft beer is more expensive so we still have that artisanal ability to take recycle the bread and put our stamp of of design on it
2: tevin
7: well and to that you can actually close the loop altogether and we baked bread out of the spent grain that we made beer with out of
1: the <laughs> it's a whole loop but,
7: but you can close the whole thing down and reuse every part of it after the fact and we made some amazing bread after we did our homebrew
4: and this is all an echo of the partnership that we began when we started cultivating plants on purpose it's been a collaboration of people and plants since agriculture's popped up in different parts of the world. We can't do this without the soil. We can't do this with plants. Without plants, we have to be feeding the soil better. What you were talking about, um, this wasteful way that we're creating food, we're not growing in an organic matter. We're not growing in, with any concern for... The microbiome that is really coming into play, both as people and as a planet. Every day you see new research that's looking at oh maybe this maybe this gluten thing has to do with how we're growing the grains, how we're growing our food. Maybe organic is actually more nutritious, and it's certainly far more nutritious for the soil and for the grower.
3: So, I mean, Chelsea Brewer is a classic example of closing the loop. So. Pat is making his beer at Chelsea Brewery. Any of the spent grain at the end of the process and the spent hops, that goes into big containers and a hog farmer from New Jersey comes, collects all of that spent grain It goes to the hogs. It gets turned into food again. That's what hogs are for, recycling the waste in our food system. That is why we domesticated pigs thousands of years ago, to recycle any byproducts and waste from our system, turn it back into food. And then what happens with the poop? It goes back onto the soil to grow the grains that go into the beer, that go into the bread, and that is nourishing us, nourishing the soil, and nourishing our communities. And we
2: wash our hands always. Okay, now I'm going to open up to a little question. So my question, we're going to go to the, so, you know, the process of making and selling the beer. And Maddie, I know you've been a big part of this. So, in the UK, what was it like? You went to different breweries and made different batches. How did you go about selling it and also choosing those breweries?
3: Uh, in the UK, the first time uh, we did this, we had a 10 day deadline because Jamie Oliver had one day filming and we wanted to get this brew on it. We had literally 10 days to go from nothing to full swing. I called up the six nearest breweries to me in Hackney. London has got a brewing scene just like New York. I mean, in the last five years, they have popped up everywhere. Every single one of them said, yeah, that's a cool idea. We definitely want to be involved. Uh, very few of them had schedule for that day. There was one brewery, Hackney Brewery, literally half a mile from the place I sit in my office. And they said, this is... The totally this is so up our street. We're really into supporting local non-profits. This is an amazing idea. We're gonna make it happen. And they were the people we went with. And then we needed to source the bread. That took about five minutes literally five minutes to find enough bread to put on our first brewer. And now we have literally companies that are wasting bread queuing up to give us their bread because frankly humans Don't like to waste food. There's something in our human instinct that says this isn't the right thing to be doing with food. And you come along with a solution like that and people just want to give you their bread. And it was literally that simple.
2: And then, Maddie, so here in the States. So we want you to make this in New York, definitely, from grains farmers and you know, people in government. And here at Airs and Network, we want to see Toast Sale in New York. But what is the process? Are you doing a competition? You know, are you out there? How are you finding out the next brewers that you're going to work with?
6: That's a great question. A lot of this summer was spent kind of door-to-dooring, um, talking to different breweries. And, like Trishram said, similar basically everyone we talked to was massively interested and excited and we do hope to do collaboration brews with a lot of the smaller scale craft guys that we've talked to but we want to first and foremost produce toast on a significant scale to actually be repurposing a quality or important quantity of bread and um i think that chelsea has kind of shown up as a really ideal partner on so many levels. Their location within New York City is wonderful because carbon footprint is obviously a really important consideration for us, Um, and they are also so conscious about their um, operations. They recycle their water, they have LED lights, Um, so we really are grateful to have found them, but definitely also hope to work with as many people as possible. And I personally have ambitions of making brews with things like citrus peels and stuff that would normally go into landfill as well
3: yeah and i mean you know it is all about finding the partner who's ideologically aligned and pat i know you were telling us about your your heat recycling it's the same kind of thing you're closing the loop on the heat maybe right. tell us about
5: you know all the energy that we use to boil in the boil is actually we use a heat exchanger and we have vessels that capture that hot water as it's cooling down and casting off, and we reuse that as preheated water for uh, sparging in the beginning. So, again, we try to utilize every bit of energy that we can. I'm a miser, as, as as they say on that. We've have all our equipment there is is you know like NASA engineered. It's all top of the line, super efficient. Even our cooling systems, our glycol system, was designed by a company unique to the brewery uh, industry. They were big in the uh, dairy industry. And I sent an engineer uh, a couple specs. He called me right back. He says, I'd love to design something for you. And uh, our system is really, really efficient. For the size of the brewery, our utility bills are very low.
2: Great. And one last thing distributing beer in New York, you're learning a, a kind of a fast track.
6: Definitely. It's been a sharp learning curve, and it's a complicated industry here with a lot of regulation. It's interesting to see how craft breweries are kind of coming up against kind of archaic regulations. Distribution is a, a big question for sure. Um, a lot of the smaller guys are self-distributing, um, and to be honest, we're still in conversation with distributors.
2: Um, so. so you just learned, and we can say to the brewers out there and people that care about this, you're open to... Other breweries, other states. Absolutely. We want
6: to collaborate with as many people as possible who are interested in this project and are aligned with our mission,
2: for sure. And let's just go back. When we walked in, I was surprised. Usually there's a Hill Farmstead tap here at Roberta's in Brooklyn, and that's my go-to beer. But today there was, you know, coincidentally, the Arrowwood Farms, a a Danko Rye Pale Ale. And we were just pretty much Danko Rye. Rachel, why don't you introduce yourself? Danko Rye is, is a specialty grain that you guys make up by Ithaca.
4: Yeah, I'm Rachel Lauder. I, I'm Rachel Lauder. I live and work on Ashner Farms in, right near Ithaca, New York, in the Finger Lakes, upstate. And uh, we're, we're an organic grain farm. We grow mainly wheat um, to make flour for bread, also rye, um, corn, and all these things are malted and uh, end up in beer. So this is really exciting for me to, you know, we're up at the farm all the time Tor is home right now um, combining buckwheat which we also grow um, to put that in the bins he's cleaning all those bins you guys saw on the weekend and uh, so this is really exciting to get to see where some of this ends up
2: Right. Yeah, so, and all the
4: right. and the Danko rye that is mm. in this beer, that was chosen initially by Farmer Ground Flour, which is the mill that uh, is is doing the stuff up there with tours grain and cooperatively owned. Um, they needed a new a good milling rye. Most of the rye that's grown in New York and in the northeast is for cover crops. Um, so there's an aroostic rye that is the standard cover cropping that would just get tilled in in between um, grain rotations but this Danko Milling Rye comes uh, from Poland and it's a really nice rye for milling but lo and behold it's really great for brewing too.
2: And we're behind that. It's, it's nice seeing there's a, a brewery in Massachusetts called Wormtown that's making a warthog wheat which is a, a variety of wheat that you guys make and walking in here seeing Danko Rye Ale. Uh, that's, that's the it's other side of it. too. There, there's the waste <laughs> and then there's the, the great small farmers that are doing stuff without waste. So this is a great meeting of mine today. I just want to give a big shout out. Uh, coming up the weekend of October 15th in New York City, New York City Craft Beer Fest, place to try a whole bunch of new beers, ciders, and meads. I'll, I'll be there giving a presentation. And let's do a quick uh, wrap up. Our, our main guests, please say your names again and any parting words.
5: Uh, Pat Green, Chelsea Craft Brewing Company. and. Uh, just one thing is I'm proud to be selected as the initial brewery for the launch here, which one of the things in the brewery industry is all brewers have good relationships with each other. Uh, we've been in contact with the English brewers. They've been up front giving us hints and advice. So I'm sure we could pass that on to whoever else is going to go.
2: Devin?
7: I'm Devin Hardy, helping to launch Toast Ale USA and just come help us drink our global problems away. Well,
2: and when, when do you think we'll get to drink it, the New York-made York Toast uh, Ale?
7: We're looking to launch uh, the winter of this year, so January 2017 is the current goal. So keep your All eyes
4: right. peeled. That's something to look forward to. Um, I love this project. I'm Amy Halloran because... Well, I mean, Helen because I am. What's, <laughs> uh,
2: but what's what's your latest cookbook?
4: My, it's the new bread basket. How the new crop of Miller's, Malsters, bakers. I like that Miller's, Miller's and Maltsters. Oh right? yeah, uh, you got to get everybody. We're all in this together, and we're really in the loaf. And Maddie, I am Maddie Holtzman, and I am
6: Devin's other half, um, helping bring toast ale to the United States, and I could not be more thrilled or honored to be a part of this really, really beautiful project.
2: And our, our special, special guest, we've got a live show on a Wednesday.
3: I'm Tristram Stewart. You've heard a lot about Toast Ale. I want to give a shout out to the folk uh, up in Hudson Valley who are putting together, as I speak, one of our Feeding the 5,000 events. Uh, anyone around on Saturday in Hudson Valley, Saturday the 8th of October, go along, meet all the great organizations who are part of this global movement. Uh, anyone going as far as uh, Portland, Maine, feeling 5,000. Portland, Maine is uh, on Friday. This is part of a global movement. Whether you're drinking toast ale, whether you're using your leftovers at home, whether you're telling your supermarkets you want them to donate food rather than destroy it, you can all be part of toasting the end of food waste. All right, man. Chris,
2: thanks. And everyone, thanks for coming. Let's toast everybody. And big shout-out to engineer uh, David Tadish who came in to do an extra show with us. And uh, we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! (laughs)